I was uh, looking ahead in the bulletin and noticed that um, that Reverend Laird's going to be uh, speaking on, uh, preaching on this uh, whole matter of acceptance of people who are, are different from us. And the reason I mention that is because um, for a number of years, um, I've been with Crossroad Bible Institute the last 12 years or so, and you've been very generous in your support and your involvement, and I, I thank you for that. But um, I recently read a book by Tony Evans uh, called uh, Oneness Embraced. And in that book, uh, he makes a point of the fact that uh, accepting people who are different from us and diversity is, um, is, is not just something that we have to kind of tolerate and you know, hold our nose and say, okay, we'll accept you too, but that it is uh, at the essence of God's kingdom agenda for accomplishing um, his mission in the world. And, I, and I'm sure Reverend Laird will tell you why that is this evening. But it explains in my mind um, something that has always been amazing is how God has been working through Crossroad Bible Institute and how it continues to grow and to expand. And I believe that the reason for that is that um, every denomination that you can imagine um, has people who are involved. And it involves every ethnic background that you can imagine. We have offices now on six continents in 15 different countries. And so I used to think, well, it's kind of a, um, a necessity. We need to use people from other denominations too because the job is so big. But that's actually the essence of God's kingdom agenda, that the church work together to accomplish his mission. And so I just want to thank you. This is not a Crossroads Sunday. I did not come prepared to talk about or promote Crossroads, but you took an offering. That's very kind of you. I thank you for that and for your involvement. Sometime earlier when I preached here, I preached on Philippians 4, uh, 1 to 4, and I wanted to uh, preach on Philippians uh, 4, verse 5 uh, this morning because of the the topic there about the Lord is near. If the, um, the, the book of Philippians is one of my favorite books, maybe it is my favorite book. Luke will certainly be a close second, if not the first. Um, and of all the chapters in Philippians, I, I love chapter four. And of all the verses of Philippians four, I love verse five. Uh, this is just uh, something so special and close to my heart, and it especially has been as uh, our family and as your church has been uh, going through things lately. And so that verse is simply um, this, way, this verse, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. And we want to first of all look at that, that kernel of that verse, the Lord is near, and then we'll take the other part after we look at that. Now, in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter from prison, um, and he's writing this letter to one of his favorite congregations. Uh, he loves this church, and you can tell from reading the whole book. The thing is that the church was something that he was even involved in starting back in Acts chapter 16. He planted this church uh, in Philippi, and he planted that church starting with, here's the church planning team, two ex-offenders, 
a businesswoman and her family, a prison guard and his family, and a teenage witch. Now, we probably would not select that group of people to start a church, but uh, God has amazing things that he does uh, through the least of these. Now, let's talk about that phrase, the Lord is near. It's an incredibly rich phrase, and that word near in Greek is an inexpressibly rich term that I'd like to help you get your head and heart around this morning. And that word near, what does it mean the Lord is near? There's actually three dimensions to that nearness. It's so rich. In the first sense, the Lord is near, according to God's word, in terms of our status, in terms of our relationship to God. The Bible is clear, isn't it, that apart from Christ, we are lost. We are far away from God apart from Christ. By nature, the Lord is not near to us. We are not near to the Lord. We are distant from him. Sin separates us from God. It's like a wide chasm the size of the Grand Canyon, the Grand Canyon of our sin between us and God. But God has a way to bring us together. Man, people try to find a way to breach that chasm. All of the world religions try to find a way to breach that chasm. People even, in a religious way, try to breach that chasm by doing good things and so forth. But nothing can, can breach that chasm because God is so far away because of our sin. But the cross of Jesus Christ becomes that bridge to bridge that chasm between God and us and brings that, that great distance close by and near. Ephesians 2.13 But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Hebrews 7.19 A better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And so the first dimension of the nearness of God, the Lord is near, has to do with what Jesus accomplished for us in his first coming. He came to bring us near to God. So it has to do with our salvation, has to do with our status. But there's more. The nearness of God has not only to do with our status and Christ's first coming in the past, but it also has to do with our experience of God in the present. We also read about this dimension of the nearness of God in Scripture. Psalm 145:18. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Psalm 119:151. Yet you are near, O Lord, and all your commands are true. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So this is nearness in the sense of in the vicinity of, close by, near to you in the here and now. God, the Lord, is near by his Holy Spirit in the present experiences of your life. Now this is a great comfort, is it not? Not only that our sins are forgiven because of what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago, but because 
Jesus, by his spirit, is also present with us in our life right now. For when you sense that the Lord is near, well then, you're not afraid anymore. You feel that somehow life is going to work out. No matter what you experience, no matter what kind of losses that you might have run up against, no matter what has happened to you, you feel like somehow it's going to work out because the Lord is near. Like a, a mother who scoops up her child in her lap when, when, she has, when he has scraped his knee. The Lord is near to hold you when you are hurting, to comfort you and to sing to you. And of course, when the Lord is near, you want to praise his name. You want to enjoy his presence. You want to confess your sins. You feel like a bride and a bridegroom on their wedding day, entering into the wedding chamber and feasting on his love. There's nothing like the nearness of God. I have some memories of my grandpa, my grandfather, Greg's uh, great-grandfather. Uh, he was 96 years old when he died, and I was a young pastor just in the first one or two years of, my, of being a pastor, and I conducted his funeral. And I have memories of him when I was a little boy, of course. We would go to their house for Sunday dinner um, as a family, and of course there would be the the traditional Dutch meal of uh, a, a roast and mashed potatoes and gravy and, and beans or something like that. It's making you hungry, huh? Um, and then I remember very clearly uh, his prayer. And in his prayer, he would always use the same phrase at some point in that prayer. He would say, be near and dear unto us, O Lord. Be near and dear unto us, Oh Lord, there's nothing like the nearness of God in our lives, no matter what life may bring us. There is a third dimension to this nearness of God. There is the, uh, that soteriological nearness, that salvation nearness, having to do with our status and what Jesus accomplished in his first coming. There's that experiential nearness, that special working of the Holy Spirit in the present, but there's also a nearness that has to do with the future. A nearness that has to do with Christ's second coming. And the Bible says that the day of his coming is very near. As you know, when the weatherman uh, says a storm is on the way, you have to make preparations. And you have had a lot of storms here this year. And so when a storm is coming, you gather up the toys from the yard, you put the car in the garage, you close the windows of the house, and if the weather warning is severe enough, you might check the batteries on your flashlight, get some candles ready, and maybe even go down into the basement. You make preparations for that storm that is to come that's near. And those who fail to prepare for the coming of the storm do so at their own peril. Well, the Bible says that the coming judgment of God is near as well. James 5.8, the Lord's coming is near. 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is near. 1 Peter 4, 7, uh, for Revelation 22, behold, I am coming soon. And those who are unprepared for his coming, which is soon, 
are in danger and put themselves at risk. Those who take heed, however, will be prepared, and the storm of judgment will not overtake them. They will be ready, safe, and secure, and in fact, that coming will be so sweet as they see their Savior face to face. And who can deny that we are in the last days? Who can deny that the Lord's coming is near? The Bible says that near the end, there will be an increase of natural disasters. I think it's like every day we read of floods and droughts and earthquakes and volcanoes. Uh, not too recently, not, uh, recently uh, not too long ago, I, I read in the paper, they said that in the last year or so, that the, have been the hottest on earth since they started keeping um, record. That, that's, I'm not tipping my hat to El Gore or anything like that, but um, it's, it's hot. It's been, it's been unusual. The Bible says that near the end, there will be wars and rumors of wars. As the conflict in, in the Middle East, the epicenter of world events, seems never to come to an end. The Bible says that near the end, there will be a total economic collapse in the world. And we have experienced the Great Recession, and we read every day in the newspaper about how so many countries in Europe and even our own country is on the brink of, of collapse with so much debt. The Bible says that near the end, the gospel will go to every corner of the world and that the Jewish people will turn to Christ and return to the land. You know that more people, that Jewish people have returned to the land from over a hundred nations in our generation. You know that more Jews have come to Christ than in the last generation, in the last 30 years, and 2,000 years previous. The Bible says that near the end there will be fierce persecution of Christians. And there is today persecution of 200 million Christians in 30 countries, not to speak of the attack upon Christian values that we see in Western countries as well. Those who are unprepared need to wake up. And those who are prepared can take great comfort knowing that soon and very soon we are going to see the king. And so you can see that this idea that the Lord is near is rich indeed for the Christian. It's rich because it talks about our status. We who were distant from God now in Christ Jesus have been brought near. It talks about our experience of Christ by his Holy Spirit in the here and now no matter what we are experiencing. And it talks about the nearness of God in terms of soon and very soon we're going to see the king. And the fact is, and now if we get to this other part of this verse of Paul, when we understand these dimensions of the Lord's nearness, then we can understand the next words of, those, of the text. Let your gentleness be evident to all men. Now that phrase summarizes how we ought to live as those who are near to God. Now the Greek word that we translate as gentleness is rich indeed. Just like that word near is a rich one, so is that word we translate as gentleness, and it's actually much richer and means much more than that. Uh, the Greek word, we are told by scholars, is a uh, a, a key word in Stoic philosophy, which was the main philosophy that Paul was countering in his day. 
Calvin says that that word denotes a moderation of spirit when we are not easily moved by injuries, when we're not easily annoyed by adversity, but retain equanimity of temper. The Theological Dictionary of the New Testament says, because the Lord is near and the final glory promised to Christians will soon be a manifest reality, Christians can be epiakes, that gentle, towards all people in spite of every persecution. goes on to say, faith in their hidden heavenly plenitude of light and power in life produces a saving gentleness. Hence, it is not weakness or sentimentality. It is an earthly outworking of an eschatological possession. Now, I apologize. There's a lot of theology packed into that. But the word means gentleness, yes, but forbearing, considerate, agreeability, moderation, kindness, seasonedness, steadfastness, reliability. You see, those who know the Lord is near don't panic in life. Those who know the Lord is near, when the storms of life hit, they don't fall apart. We cry when the storms of life hit. And it hurts when the storms of life hit. When Jacob died, even as I as a grandpa, I had one night where I cried all night. And when we got the news that that, this week that that tumor was malignant, I did the same thing Tuesday night. My wife was getting ready. She, was, she wasn't at the condo where I was. She was um, at the lake and getting ready to come out here. So I was by myself, and I was crying all night long. I was afraid the neighbor was going to call 911. What's that awful noise coming from that condo? And um, so we cry. Christians cry. But guess what? The next morning, we suck it up and we go forward because the Lord is near. And we put one foot in front of the other because the Lord is near. This is not a stoic denial of reality. This is not whistling in the dark. But it's a Holy Spirit realization that those planted in the Lord will not be moved. You see, people who are living near the Lord, they have a certain something you can't put your finger on a quality about them. As they live in the presence of the Lord, you know what I'm talking about. And this gentleness is to be evident to all people, to all men. Paul says that this gentleness, this forbearance, this rock-solid presence, sort of like your brother Tim's presence, huh? He's a, he's a rock. He has this. It should be evident to all people. Now, literally, the Greek says this. Let it be experienced 
by everyone you come into contact with. Let it be experienced by everyone you come into contact with. People you come into contact with at work, but also your loved ones at home. The people in the church and unbelievers in your neighborhood. The rich, the powerful, and the influential, but also the weak, the helpless, the prisoners. Let your gentleness be experienced by all men. Now, I, it was a few years ago when I preached here, and, um, and I told you the story about when I met Johnny Cash in the San Diego airport. And I was reminded of that with this text again, that when I met him, and this was the, in the you know, he, he changed in the 60s. I met him in 1991. And when I met him, he was just had this quality about him that was so kind and so gentle. And like he had all the time in the world for me, and it just blew me away that why this famous star would take even 30 seconds to talk to me. But then they had a memorial service for him about 10 years later when he died. And what came up again and again in that memorial service was that Johnny Cash treated everyone that way, with that gentleness, with that forbearance, with that steadfastness, with that kindness. And he did it, if it was the President of the United States, or if it was the doorman at the hotel, he treated them that way. Now, why in the world should we let, why should our gentleness, having been in the presence of the Lord, be experienced by all people we come into contact with? Why? The reason is this. It's so that others can experience the nearness of God through us. You got that? It's so that others experience the nearness of God through us because that's why we're on the planet. So you see, my friends, as you correct the Bible studies of prisoners, as you visit the sick in Stephen's ministry, as you comfort the distressed, as you visit orphans, as you challenge disobedience, uh, disobedience, as you write out a check, as you volunteer in a soup kitchen or a crisis pregnancy center, as you make a phone call, you bring the Lord's nearness to those who are in need, to the marginalized of society, the castaways, the forgotten ones, and the needy right in our own midst. Now, in one of the care pages a couple weeks ago, Greg told the story of that little boy who uh, was in bed at night, and it was a storm, and branches hitting the window and it was dark and raining and he cried out dad dad and the father came into the room and said what's wrong son he says dad I'm scared uh, you know there's a storm and so the father went on to lecture to the son about the omnipresence of God and the special presence of the spirit and how Jesus is here, and so, you know, so forth and so on. And the, and, and the son says, Dad, yeah, yeah, I know all that. But right now I need someone with skin on. And this is what this text is about, 
It's being God with skin on for others. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because isn't that exactly what God did in Jesus Christ? Jesus was God with skin on. And that's what it took. It took God with skin on to come into flesh and be with us. And now what is the mission of the church? Isn't the mission of the church to be Christ's ambassadors? He sends us with the Holy Spirit within, and he wants us to be God with skin on for each other and for the world. And I'm just here to tell you this morning that you, Faith CRC, have been God with skin on for our family. You really have. You've been God with skin on. You haven't come preaching because, you know, with that theology and stuff like that, Dr. Schering and Dr. Schering kind of got the theology figured out. But you've just come to be there and bring a cup of coffee and just tell us that you're thinking of us. We've never seen anything or experienced anything like it. And it is okay if sometimes you say something, too. I mean, you, know, you can have all this theology stuff that sometimes you forget, but you know, we have to remind ourselves of it. When, when Jacob died and we were at the gravesite, I said the same thing to Greg as when we first got the announcement about the brain tumor. I said, son, remember that all this stuff we preach is really true. It is, you know. I have a friend, Phil, he's a medical doctor who is, uh, is on our board at Crossroad, and um, I confide a light on him. He preaches a little too much to me. He thinks I need it. Um, but uh, when this all first happened, I said to him, Phil, if something happens to Greg, I don't know if I can go on. You know what he said to me? He said, Dave, this is the Lord's kid not yours. He's going to make it, you know. God has some very special purpose for this event. I believe that Greg's best sermons are still ahead of him. I believe that God's vision for this church hasn't even begun yet to unfold. Because our God loves to do powerful things when we're at our weakest. And he will at Faith CRC. He's already started it. Because he is near. And all God's people said, Lord Jesus, thank you that you are near, that you are powerful when we are weakest. Thank you for the hope that we have that we'll see our Savior again. Thank you for the mission that you gave us to bring your nearness to everyone we come into contact with. And thank you for this church. Lord God, you are powerfully working here. And we anticipate great things in the power of your Spirit. Amen.